Hey there, Deviants. Hope you're ready this time for a full-length episode of Dark and Devious. Yes, welcome back, everyone. Patrick here. And as Chris said, welcome back to a full-length episode. We hope you enjoyed our mini-sode from last week. Yeah, it's funny. Ever since you mentioned the, or ever since you brought up the information from last episode, I've noticed there's been some stuff in the headlines about it. So uh, it was right on time, topic-wise. Yes, Um and this week, we'll get into it later, um, also is adjacent. I, I, I will hold off on explaining more until we get okay. into the story. But um, That's our little teaser. Yes, our little teaser. But until then, um, we would like to welcome our newest listeners all the way from Panama. That's very cool. Welcome, guys. Hope okay. you're enjoying and tuning in again this week. Yes, very cool. And coincidentally, uh, this past week when I was at a high school event, um, there were Army recruiters, U.S. Army recruiters there as well. And I just got to chat with one of them. And I don't know how it came about, but we eventually got on the topic that he was originally from Panama. And I learned that they still, well, not still, but they have always used... um, USD as currency. So US dollars as currency in Panama. And that is so interesting. I wonder. Well, it's because um, the US government occupied Panama when the Panama Canal was being built. Mm-hmm. And after like the the government left, the people that were so accustomed to it, the political higher-ups were like, well, why? why try to fix what is not broken? Like we're already used to this currency system. Let's just keep it going. So they use USD to this day in Panama. That is really interesting. I think there's a lot of like casinos and stuff like that in Panama. Uh, And I mean, there's also kind of this high-end tourism thing going on with Panama. Like I think there's a lot of like luxury to be had in Panama too. Right. Um, because of that. And I mean, it makes sense because the US dollar is a pretty strong currency generally. Mm-hmm. So that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, I didn't, I, I guess I, I knew that it was kind of the United States that spearheaded the canal effort, but I, I just wasn't sure how that relationship worked <laughs> with their government and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, um, well, we had a lot of holidays happening all at once. I know we've been talking about Ramadan recently, but we were mm-hmm. actually recording on Easter Sunday. So um, happy Easter to all of those who celebrate and 
Also, it is Passover season. So anybody who's celebrating in the Jewish faith, I hope you have a wonderful Passover season. Uh, so yeah, we've got a lot of stuff going on. I know I was mentioning this before we started recording. Like I managed to survive, you know, whenever there's a big holiday for any faith or nationally or whatever, anything that involves food, it's tough to be in the grocery store business and, uh, and it gets really crazy and really busy and I'm glad it's done. <laughs> I bet. Like I cannot, I mean, I worked in the food industry, um, when I was in college getting my undergrad, but mm -hmm. after that, I've had no experience where it's like to deal with like the mass crowds that come in to retail food, grocery stores, whatever um during the holiday season so i mean cheers to all of you you know <laughs> grocery right. workers and servers and clothing stores sales people that like during the holidays so you i imagine you put up with a lot yes absolutely yes so if if you fall into those categories you know pat yourselves on the back right now you made it right <laughs> now now we get a little bit of a break until Gosh, I guess probably the next big holiday here in the U.S. is what, probably Memorial Fourth. Day? Or, yeah, Memorial Day, 4th of July, one of those two. Yeah, um, so end of May. Then it's, then it's grilling season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where as me, someone who was previously like um, elementary education, but now in higher education, instead of working more during those holiday times, I get a lot more time off where I get to just relax and have a whole week off just for a holiday where you are busting your butt. Yeah. Rub it in some more. Um, <laughs> not meaning to, I'm just trying to, you know, point out the differences. Um, yes. So different. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm glad that, you know, your rush is over. Hopefully the next few weeks are a little little calmer for you oh yeah and will hopefully give me more time to not only relax but pack more stuff up i each each week there's a little bit less here mm -hmm. and uh it's funny my mom has been talking a lot about she's very much like a planner and she's like we've got to have everything set and so she like this and also my parents are are you know, they're in their 60s now. So it's not like they're going to be helping me move big furniture or something like that. So this time around, we're hiring movers. And I'm hoping it's the last time ever that I'm ever going to have to hire them <laughs> or like or move in general. So it's been a big undertaking and it's been a lot of stress. <laughs> yes, but good stress. Like it'll it'll pay off in the end. It will, it will. And I'm I'm glad because it's still like mid-April and I don't have to be out of this apartment until the end of May. So I just I wish I could just wiggle my nose like Samantha on Bewitched and just have it all there and all set. Mm-hmm. I as but, someone who had just moved across country, I completely understand. <laughs> yeah well speaking of but new the packing spaces, is going well that's good that's good um speaking of new spaces um we as our 
our devoted listeners know I moved to a new home um, recently and our backyard was a blank canvas, which means we could do whatever we wanted. And over the past few weeks, like I've dug up and started some perennial flower beds. Um, We dug up and started a garden. I planted a lemon tree. And then just this past week, um, we had our patio poured and a pergola built. And we got our grill and we're just waiting on our new outdoor furniture and the mail to come to like put under the pergola. And it's just, it's really exciting, like going into summer, having this new outdoor space where we can just like hang out and grill and, you know, it's, it's nice. I love having a yard. And that's I lo- so exciting. I love yard I- work too. So <laughs> it's, it's been good. Uh, I'm really excited because uh, the, the house I'm moving into, we are redoing the patio like it's it's getting a fresh um cementing like so they're just gonna like bust up the old concrete lay out some new ones and uh we there's also supposedly going to be a reinforced area on there so that if I wanted to down the road get a hot tub that that could be an option so hot tub in Minnesota that sounds lovely I mean, that sounds great. I know there are a lot of upkeep, which that might be a pain, but it would also be really nice to like when it's all cold out to just like go out and take a dip in the hot tub. That would be super fun. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe that that could be a possibility down the road. Yeah, I I love. So I have a love-hate relationship with hot tubs because um I tend to overheat and I can actually feel like my, my heartbeat increase. Um, So I have to do it in small doses, but I really do like going into a hot tub in the winter time. Oh yeah. Cause then if you get too hot, you just kind of like, yeah, you just like your head up. mm -hmm. Yeah. You could just be a little gopher and you just with water instead of dirt. Yeah. And then when, it, when the cold sets in, then you just like hunker down in the water. Yeah. yeah. Well, well um, fun possibilities of, for both of us. Exactly. But speaking of taking a dip, shall we take a dip into true crime today? That was a, that was a really good uh, segue. So yes, of course, let's, let's immerse ourselves in some true crime. Hey, Chris. So the other day, my husband and I went to go see movies at the movie theater, but sometimes I really like watching an old classic. Do you ever like just like going back into your catalog and watching a different movie over and over? Oh my gosh. All the time. I am am such a movie buff. I have a huge collection uh, and, you know, and it always is fun watching a movie with good company. I agree. Um, There's something about like, just, you know, sitting down with a group of friends, watching one of your favorite flicks. But that's not always possible because everyone's schedules are different, timing changes. Um, but that's where the podcast Rose Tinted Reels come in. Yes, hosts Zach and Allison are an absolute delight to listen to. And as they discuss their favorite movies and sometimes movies they've never even seen before. Right, like... I feel like 
out of the two, Allison has seen every movie under the sun and Zach has seen like 10%, which makes it so fun because every time you hear someone's perspective based on if like what they thought of when they first saw it, after they saw it for the third time and then they analyzed it and then someone's first impression. That is so true, uh, which is why I can't recommend Rose Tinted Reels highly enough. It's a super fun podcast and we've done a collaboration with them before. They're really fun to listen to. And I hope that our listeners will check them out as well. So true on everything you said. So if you like us, you like to listen to good friends, just sit down and have a nice chat over a central themed topic. Check out Rose Tinted Reels podcast wherever you stream and listen. All right. Well, now that we've taken a dip and, you know, maybe dried ourselves off from our hot tub experience, um, <laughs> let's uh, go into today's story. And as mentioned at the top of the episode, this is adjacent to our previous Minnesota, which uh, had a focus on the Islamic community and all the hate that they are given. And given that it is Ramadan, I wanted to kind of still shed light on that community. Um, and today I'm going to be telling you about the murder of Han Bin Lee and the possible guilty person behind bars for her murder. Ooh, I like that you say possible because that adds a little bit of doubt to the situation. So I'm excited to see what you have to like, what are the possibilities? Right. Um, so normally I like to credit our sources at the end of the episode. However, because um, I'm gonna be referencing two podcasts in particular throughout the um, story, I'm gonna go ahead and cite my sources now. And the first would be the podcast Serial season one. Uh, which I took, I listened to a while ago, but I, I re-listened to it in preparation for this case. And then the other podcast would be uh, Rabia Shatri's podcast, Undisclosed. And then I also Ooh. found information from allthatsinteresting.com and cnn.com. So without further ado, let's get into today's case. <clears throat> Ha Min Lee was born in South Korea in 1980 and immigrated with her mother Yoon Kim and her brother Yoon Lee to the United States in 1992 to live with her grandparents. Ha Min, who went by the nickname Hey, and I'll refer to as Hey for the rest of the story, attended the magnet program at Woodlawn High School near Baltimore, Maryland. She was an athlete who played lacrosse and field hockey. Uh, some, another case that is linked to Maryland. I can't wait to hear Ty comment on this. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he may he's, know. Always got, he's always got a, a, a connection to Maryland. Mm -hmm. So Hay was cheerful and light and funny. She loved the movie Titanic and sometimes put on nail polish just for the sole purpose of picking it off which I am the exact same. Like I will paint my nails and by the end of the day, they're all gone. 
<laughs> like, <laughs> I don't do it on purpose. It just happens. Hay wasn't insecure seemingly ever. Sprite was her favorite soda. The Dallas Cowboys, her favorite team. Not because she cared about football, but because she liked the colors blue and silver. She could charm you without trying, and she was a good friend to her friends. She took in their problems and their pain and tried to help them if she could. In a local media interview, Hay, dressed in her high school lacrosse uniform, told a reporter about school, sports, and work that, I played field hockey for two years. I played cross for two years, and I also managed the boys' wrestling team. Adding that she also had a job and that she was trying to manage her schoolwork and her after-school work activities. However, she was more than just managing things. Inside Edition reported that she had competed at the varsity level in both of her sports and was on the honor roll. She participated in Ecology Club, French Club, and Students Against Destructive Decisions, which I guess that's um, Students Against Drunk Driving, which is what we called it in the Midwest. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's because it, I'm thinking about my own high school experience and I feel like I was always busy and I was only involved in like a couple things. Like I was, I did like music and theater. Mm-hmm. Like, dang, they were like in everything. They must not have had like a single spare moment of their time in high school. Yeah. Hey, kept busy. And even outside of her extracurriculars, it seemed like she was also very social. Like she participated with her friends, you know, she, you'll find out she had a good friend group and a boyfriend. So it sounds like she, she was definitely like the go-getter. Yeah. And charming and, and a good friend. And this, this sounds like the kind of ideal person you'd want in your life. Mm-hmm. So with the expectation of graduating with honors, she also wanted to be an optician and she worked at a local lens crafters school, a lens crafters store nearby after school. However, sadly, that graduation date and that dream job of an optician would never come. On February 12th, 1999, the Baltimore Sun reported that a partially buried body found in Leakin Park near Baltimore earlier that week was the missing 18-year-old Woodlawn High School student, Heyman Lee. At that point, Hay had been missing for almost an entire month, and officials had yet to assess how exactly she died, but they did suspect homicide. She was last seen alive on the afternoon of January 13th, 1999, when she drove her Nissan away from school to pick up her six-year-old cousin and then head to work at the local lens crafter store. This is weird because it's like, absolutely, the second she didn't show up for something, you would know that something was wrong. Right, because she was on top of it. Like, yeah, like she's very devoted to all of her extracurriculars and her like after school job. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. This does not seem like you cannot write this off as like somebody who was like a runaway or somebody who maybe like was involved in some sort of like seedy 
underbelly of society type thing like or even like the fact that she didn't show up at her job it's not like oh typical hey she'll be 10 minutes late it's like no yeah she was was always on time she that was her type she was type a person her uncle taesu kim said quote that we thought she would come back we just never thought that it would be like this tragically she did not come back as how her family wished and signs of strangulation soon became apparent And that, combined with the location of her body, which had been left in a popular dumping ground for homicide victims, pointed to the cause of her death being murder. Which I just have to say, like, I can't imagine what it's like to live in in a place where there's an area known to dump bodies. Yeah, it's like, maybe you should just always have someone posted there. Right. Like, if it's really that bad of a of a spot, be like, let's just not give them an easy place to dump a body. How about mm-hmm. that? Right. And then maybe you'll catch somebody in the act and then you'll save lives down the road. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. <laughs> Hayes family gathered at their home on Rockridge Road upon receiving the official confirmation that the body was indeed hers. She was mourned and remembered fondly by her relatives and friends that day. Her father wasn't present as he was against immigrating to the United States and had decided to remain in Korea. He essentially cut off all contact with his family when they immigrated with no record of how he received the news of his daughter's death. That's so sad. I can't imagine how hard that would have been the like the decision to be like, well, we think we can have a better life in America versus staying put in the country and the culture that you're used to. Mm-hmm. It's a big decision. And then when like, you can't agree on that as a family, that's heartbreaking. And I could understand a certain level of bitterness. Yeah, for sure. And then, but then to know also- that like you are halfway around the world from your daughter who has died and your family that is grieving yeah like what does what type of toll does that take on that person do they feel a level of guilt yeah like maybe they like if they went maybe this wouldn't have happened I could see there being instantly that feeling of like like an I told you so kind of yeah I knew this was a bad idea yeah that I knew this was a bad idea and I knew you shouldn't have gone and then look what happened but then also at the same time it's like you not like you could be like quote unquote right about that but also it doesn't change anything it doesn't bring your daughter back Mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't heal any wounds to be like I told you so and it's like you're still you you've lost a child and like I don't think any parent expects to outlive their children Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we'll touch on that later. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a family was grieving, so also was Woodland High School's community. Woodland High's principal, James Wilson, remembered Hay as a, quote, very warm type of person, well-liked by all students, and even more liked by faculty and staff. Authorities initially considered a possible connection between the murder of Hay and the body of another 18-year-old Woodlawn girl, 
Jada Denisha Lambert, who had been found strangled in the wilderness a year prior. But this theory was soon dismissed when the Baltimore Police Department received an anonymous phone call claiming that Hayes' ex-boyfriend, 17-year-old Adned Syed, was responsible for the murder of Hay. The Baltimore police followed a promising lead that Adned Syed was allegedly a spurned lover with a potential motive to murder Hay. Oh, I was just gonna say like, oh, those whole, those anonymous calls, like they they kind of, when, when that's the only thing you have to go off of is an anonymous call, it kind of almost makes me suspicious right away. Uh-huh. And that anonymous call will not stay anonymous. Ooh, ooh, we get to find out who the caller was. We do. And once we find out who the caller is, it's going to raise even more questions. Ooh, oh, I love, I love this. You're just teasing me so much and I love it. So given this anonymous tip, uh, the police filed an application to subpoena AT&T Wireless for call records uh, for 13 cell site locations for Adnan's phone. This would give them a web of particular data regarding calls made, to whom, and for how long and from where. This was done to map out Adnan's location on the day of Hayes' murder. Two of Adnan's acquaintances, Jay Wilds and Jennifer Pusateri, were also questioned. Jennifer told investigators that she had received a call from Jay Wilds on the day of Hayes' disappearance, January 13th, 1999, and that call came from Adnan's phone. Jay Wilds initially denied having anything to do with the situation, but later made a bombshell claim to police. He had helped Adnan bury Hayes' body, get rid of her car, and he was the one who had made the anonymous call. What? Yes. Oh, man. So what happened on that particular day, January 13th, 1999, depends on who you talk to. As described by Adnan, he said he went to his photography and English classes and then called his friend Jay, offering Jay to lend him his car during lunch period. Jay then dropped Adnan back off at school where Adnan had a free period and then he arrived late to his psychology class. It started at 12.50, but his attendance was entered at 1.27 p.m. by his teacher in a log. By that point, you've like missed half the class by then. (laughs) Like why even go? (laughs) Yeah, might as well just not showed up. After class, Adnan said he went to the Woodlawn Public Library to check his email and chat with his friend, Asia McLean. Oh man, those were the days where you'd like use AIM Instant Messenger. And it was like they were like at that point, it was still on all of the computers at the library. I like where we went with that, but as in the word chat, I meant like actually talk. <laughs> okay well but yes yes those were the days the late 90s where you were logging on to like msn messenger am yes after the library he went to track practice which he was noted of attending and then jay wilds 
picked him up again, and the two went to a friend's house. It's while at the friend's house that Officer Stock Adcock called Anan, asking if he knew where Hay was, because her parents had reported her missing when she did not show up to pick up uh, her cousin. Anan told the official that he was supposed to get a ride from Hay, but got detained at school during track practice and felt that she just got tired of waiting and left. Anand then- It's really weird because he he like lent his car to his friend. Just for the, yeah, he, so to Jay. And Jay's the one that called and said that Anand killed Hay hmm. and asked him to help bury the body. That's that. This is just very, very fishy in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so then, to end up the day, Anand picked up food on his way to meet his dad at mosque because it was actually Ramadan, and they're meeting Same for thing. evening prayers and for iftar, which is breaking a fast. And there were multiple witnesses at the mosque to corroborate him being present. And you don't want to miss that because you've been waiting all day for this moment, I'm sure. Exactly. In contrast, Jay Wilde's version of the day changed throughout his interviews and his testimony. In his testimony during trial, he says that he and Adnan drove to Security Square Mall and claims that Adnan reportedly told him he was going to kill Hay. That afternoon, he says that Anand asked him to be picked up at Best Buy from a payphone, which during the serial podcast, um, they interviewed multiple Best Buy employees saying that this payphone never existed. Like it- Interesting. It, it was never there. Because I feel like that's something very easy to figure out. I mean- Yeah, you look because... at like, you look at like a, a blueprint, right? Of a store and they'll mark out what is where. Oh, so they're claim he's claiming that there's a payphone inside the Best Buy? Correct. And Best Buy employees oh. from that time period say, we did not have a payphone. That's interesting. Uh, Jay Wilds is saying that Adnan called him from a payphone from that Best Buy. Right. I feel like this is something, especially because it's they've already subpoenaed phone records, right? They so, subpoenaed... Like, AT&T cell phone records. Oh, okay. I feel like it wouldn't be that hard to then do like a regular subpoena for these, for the phone records of, you know, of these other people involved and, and just find out like, oh, did they get a call from a payphone? Also, have you heard the theory that everybody remembers payphones from like the nineties, but never remembers using them? Uh-huh. I remember them, but I never used it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I I ever recall using a payphone ever, but I remember seeing them around. There what? used to even be a payphone in my neighborhood within the last 10 years. Right, but did you use it? No, because yeah. as my college French teacher told me, payphones are for drug dealers and stalkers. <laughs> That is some wise uh, knowledge to pass down. <laughs> <laughs> Let's 
So when Jay went to meet Anan at this, maybe it was there, maybe it wasn't payphone, Anan then showed him in a public parking lot, apparently, Hay's dead body in the trunk of her car. They and left so him- in is in Hay's car. Yes, in Hay's. Okay. Because remember, she was seen leaving school in her car. Right. Okay. So that he and okay, yeah. So this is starting to kind of make sense. I get. Okay. Okay. So they leave the Best Buy parking lot. And then that night after sundown, when Adnan would have been at mosque and his presence there is verified by witnesses, mm-hmm. um, they buried Hayes' body in Leakin Park and left her car in a residential parking lot. And then hmm. as for Hayes' family on this day, all they knew was that she didn't come to pick up her cousin, which is when they reported her as a missing person. And as far as fellow classmates knew, they just saw her leaving school around 2.15. So there's kind of a narrow window, like when she was expected at her cousin's home and when she left school, that's the only window that this possibly could have, this foul play could have happened. Exactly. Hmm. So some argue that Jace. Poe's confession is wildly inconsistent with previous versions of Jay's account regarding the series of day's events. Because when first question, Jay had a different story. He said he went to McDonald's that afternoon, which was completely left out in the story of meeting Adnan at Best Buy and then burying the body. And then it later changed to him visiting his friend's house when Adnan got the call from a police officer. And then again changed when he said that he met Anan at Best Buy to go bury the body. So very very inconsistent, very unreliable in my opinion. Yeah, already this, I mean, especially the whole fact that like, well, I even think about the fact that it's Ramadan and that you're not eating all day, like kind of during the day. Like where would you have the kind of like the energy to like commit this murder hide this body like do all this other this stuff be like I feel like you would not be in that state of mind and you would not be you would not have like the energy to do that kind of exactly yep and the fact that he that there are multiple people who saw him that evening at the mosque would would have I've been like, I feel like that would have been a very easy alibi. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So additionally to those inconsistencies and what you just mentioned about Anan fasting all day and not having the energy. Additionally, the interviews with Jay reveal numerous lengthy pauses and odd tapping sounds at several junctures of his recounting of the day's events that suggest possible coercion by investigators. It is during these taps that Jay seems to remember a key detail, correct a statement, or even apologize to the investigators in the room. On the recordings, there would be a tap tap, and then Jay says something like, oh, okay, and suddenly remembers a moment later that he knows the answer to a question or remembers a key detail that he left out. 
it sounds almost like it's uh it's like a signaling like oh if i tap twice then that means you have to change your tune on this mm-hmm. and, this, and that's very weird yeah and it's just audio recording so we didn't know it's like it's like jay tapping out of being nervous or something or are the investigators tapping to guide him to what he should say next yeah i'm i mean either way it could be it's like either he's making some of this up or he's like you said he's being possibly coerced into making some of this up Mm -hmm. Hmm. but not long after the statements made uh by jay and interviews on nanan and um asia mclean adnan was arrested on february 28th 1999 and formally charged with the first degree murder of Heyman Lee. In the wee hours of the night on February 18th, 1999, Hay's car was found around 4.30 a.m. And around 6 a.m. of that same day, Adnan was arrested at his home on the 7,000 block of Johnny Cake Road. He was 17 at the time, but charged with first degree murder as an adult. Hayes' 16-year-old brother, Young Lee, speaking for his grandparents and his mom, told the Baltimore Sun that he was very shocked by the news that Adnan committed Hayes' murder. He said that there was some closure and some peace, but they were just as shocked because we were kind of surprised because she told us that he was one of her best friends, quoted by Young Lee. So this is very, very strange that someone who is considered to be one of her closest friends is now the prime suspect for her murder. And based on kind of spotty testimony. Mm-hmm. I mean, very spotty testimony. Like the story changed three times. There were witnesses placing Adnan away from the scene of the crime. Uh, there were people to speak upon his character, as you'll see. And th- there's no physical evidence. But yet, yeah, this is very odd. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially if if they had ended their relationship on good terms. Mm-hmm. And I assume he didn't have some sort of history of bad behavior or anything um i don't know so depending on how you define bad because in the season one of serial they do talk about anon's life outside of this whole trial and he was a player so he okay so he often had multiple girlfriends at the same time Oh, naughty boy. He was a naughty boy in that aspect. <laughs> um, but, and he did like, you know, he did do like weed, which is a very light drug in my opinion. So, right. I, some, I mean, that's, in, it's not like you were like selling heroin to kindergartners or something like that. Yeah, it's not like he was like pushing hard drugs. And just because he's a player, like, you know, he wasn't engaging in illegal sex crimes. Like, it depends on- Right, I mean, it's like, like you're 
you're a teenage boy who's like figuring himself out. Like, right. Right. I get it. Yeah. So that did play into effect for his arrest as well. I don't think it should have. I think that's unfair. Um, right. I mean, it, it, it's not like, um, it's not like he has a history of violence. Exactly. exactly. Like I would think like if he had, if he had like a, a record of, of, you know, like getting in fights at school or know, something more that pointed toward a violent angle, that would make a little more sense to me, but it doesn't sound, it sounds like, you know, like maybe, yeah, like you said, he was kind of a player, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a killer. Exactly. So Anand's family turned to defense attorney, Maria Cristina Gutierrez, to represent him. And it was clear that it would be problems with her almost immediately. According to episode 10 of the podcast serial, when jurors overheard the presiding judge called Gutierrez a, quote, liar during a verbal dispute at his bench, he declared a mistrial on December 15th of 1999. Still, Anand's family stuck with Gutierrez, relying on her strong reputation in past cases, and the second trial began in January of 2000. The court records from that trial show that Anand confirmed to police that he and Hay had dated in 1998 and that they had kept it secret from their parents. As a Pakistani American and a Korean American, Anand and Hay apparently feared negative reactions from their families due to multiple religious and cultural differences. Their split in 1998 was only complicated further when Adan found out that Hay had begun dating another young man, Don Clindenst, Hay's coworker at the Lenscrafter store. Solely because of hurt pride, he chose to kill, said Assistant State Attorney Kevin Urich. There is nothing here to excuse or explain. That seems like a very, very simplistic view exactly of of even just life in general like uh i don't know i feel like it would have to be a very specific circumstances for anybody to kill like just for pride sake right and just because you broke up and then one year later you find out your ex is dating someone else like like yeah it's gonna happen Yeah, like you also are going to date other people. (laughs) Like, yeah. So some found the details about the recent breakup and the new boyfriend very suspicious. But other people, like Rabia Shatri, the host and the author of the podcast Undisclosed, uh, believe that Anand's confession of these details were mere honest facts about his romantic life. To those trying to find to find Hayes' killer, and not a careless revelation of his motive. And um, to mention, Ravi Shatri was also a childhood friend of Adnan, so she's very, very involved in his story. Ravi said that Adnan was just clueless, and that he was helping the police investigation. 
He had no idea that he was under suspicion when he gave details about his and Hay's relationship. Nonetheless. Right, because I'm sure he thought that, like, this isn't suspicious behavior at all. It's like, these are just things that happen. Be like, oh, like, would you accuse every guy that used to date her of her murder? Like, right? no, you wouldn't, because that couldn't possibly be the only pool of suspects like come right. on exactly however nonetheless the jury apparently believed the quote hurt pride motive because hayes personal diary which was mostly filled with um like loving notes about anon there were a few mentions in her diary that said that he was possessive and frames him as being unable to let go of her which I feel like with any breakup there's always someone that wants to make it work you know there's always someone that wants yeah. to try again so of of course maybe Adnan was trying to reconcile with Hay, and she viewed it as you know him trying to like hold on to her and they quoted it as being possessive yeah well and also it's like what 17 year old enjoys being broken up with like no one so yeah of course like you might have some bad feelings but like how often do those feelings result in murder right that is the like the rarest of the rare it seems like they they jump to like the most outrageous possibility first when i'm sure that there are probably some more logical explanations for this murder mm-hmm. i mean I'm, i mean we're not we're not at the end quite yet so i i'll be interested to hear if there are some alternative theories that might be a little bit more plausible yes and there definitely are we will get there okay unfortunately on february 25th of 2000 Adnan was convicted of the murder of Heyman Lee, and he was sentenced to life in prison plus 30 years. The proceedings of the trial took six weeks, but the jury's deliberation only took two hours. Uh, that's, you know what, even if you're really sure, like, you still maybe take a little more than two hours. I mean, I know when I served on a jury, and I was very convinced of what I thought the outcome should be. And still, we took several days to discuss everything and convince everyone so that everybody felt like they weren't sending an innocent person mm-hmm. to jail. So it sounds like this this uh, this jury pool maybe was kind of just real excited to get done with this yep and speaking of the jury pool in the podcast serial um they did interview some of the jury people on that board and everyone was screened before the trial to make sure they didn't have any prejudice against um middle eastern descent uh islamic faith korean descent um immigration or immigrant descent all that was involved in getting the jury but following the sentencing jury members came out and said things like 
women over there are second class citizens. We don't know how they treat them there. So we don't know how Adam would treat them here. Or, uh, things, or also, this like, is like a teenager who has spent most of his life probably in the US. Exactly. And other jury members were saying, like, women are their property. If they can't have them, then they will dispose of them. Like, I was like, once as a person who married into a Muslim family, fuck you guys, because we treat our family members just the same, if not better. Um, and two, that's such a such a racist Islamic phobia statement to say. And I feel like the jury members, even though they were interviewed and screened before, had their underlying issues that played a role in Adnan's conviction. That sounds like, I mean, from what you described right there, it sounds right on the money that like, yeah, that I, if they had said, it's like, if they had said those things during the interview process, they would have definitely been dismissed as jurors. Yep. And, and here, like after the fact, they can say whatever they want because it's done and over with. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels like, oh, maybe you might've hidden this a little bit in your, in your screening process. And that this was just an opportunity to be like, oh, one of those foreigners, we can just, you know, put them in prison where they belong because I don't want to deal with them. And and like, mm-hmm. if, they, if they're here, if they've made it this far, if they're on the other side of the, uh, you know, on the defense uh, table, then they're already most likely guilty. Yep. And that, that really bothers me. Yes. me that is i'd like the only thing you should look at when you are on a jury is the facts of the case like personality what they look like on the outside that should have absolutely no bearing and i get it it's really hard to set some of that aside but when it comes down to it you need to only look at like what do the facts what con- what things contradict each other and Usually a prosecutor or a defense attorney is usually pretty good at summing up where the other side's flaws are. Right. So at Adnan's uh, life sentencing plus 30 years, um, when the verdict was read, he said that, quote, I'll be all, all right. I have faith in the Lord. I know that I didn't kill her. Hay knows that I didn't kill her. The Lord knows I didn't kill her and the Lord will take care of me. Um, It's like heartbreaking. And uh I'm like, I want to, like, I want to believe that, but I also know how slow justice can be for people who may have been wrongly accused. Mm -hmm. So Anand's attorney at that time, Charles H. Dorsey, who replaced Gutierrez after the convention, pleaded with the judge to reduce the sentence because according to him Hay's murder was a crime of passion so he was saying like hey this was here the moment don't write it off completely just give him a reduced sentence right because doesn't that doesn't that change like the degree of murder if it's like a crime of passion versus like planned out carried out kind of thing Mm -hmm. 
which I mean, granted, like if it's like, okay, if my client has been found guilty, then I have to work hard to get them the fairest sentence possible, at least. Mm -hmm. However, unfortunately, Adnan did not help his own case because he said during this request that he had maintained his innocence from the beginning. So the judge viewed that as still denial and that request was not granted. Uh, that, that sucks that that works against you being like, I, hey, I didn't do this. And then you, and then like in order to maybe at least get some leniency because you're still being convicted for it anyway, Mm-hmm. you like it would mean giving up your claim of innocence like you would exactly. have to claim that you did something that you didn't do and I would totally understand that be like if I was in if I was in prison for something that I didn't do I sure as hell would never admit to it just to get a lighter sentence because right. like I don't like I there's the person who committed that crime is still out there somewhere and I don't want them to stop looking for them and not only that but then if you admit to something just to get you out you know 10 years earlier the rest of the world saw that you admitted to it so now you are a known killer your friends your family they and it doesn't matter if you take it back later it it will always haunt you right so during the trial towards the end Hay's mother Yoon delivered a heart-wrenching testimony through an interpreter. She explained that her hardships when immigrating to Korea were necessary to provide her family with a better life and to give her children a decent education and a decent future, which she now knows Hay will never get. She said that she would like to forgive Anan, but as of now, she doesn't know how she could. She said, when I die, my daughter will die with me. As long as I live, my daughter is buried in my heart. I learned that um, in Korean culture, when a child dies before their parent, they don't consider them completely dead, but their soul is now within them. Oh, and that, that's, that's so sweet. Because, I, I like that. Because no one wants their child to die before them. Um, mm-hmm. so they believe that their soul is now with them so they can live out their life to its fullest. Mm-hmm. So she said when she dies, her daughter will be buried with her. And at the end of her statement, she nearly collapsed. Um, and she eventually had to be escorted outside because she was just so distraught. The pain would rage- I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The pain would rage on for years, but at least the case of the murder of Heyman Lee appeared to be closed or so many thoughts as time will tell. So one of Rabia Shatri's, the host of Undisclosed, uh, mentions in her podcast is that Anand's trial was flawed because of how blinded authorities were by his Muslim faith. She says that they weren't able to find evidence that Anand was a violent boyfriend or they had he had a history of being abusive. So they plugged in his religion as a substitute. Uh, This is very interesting because this is exactly what I was thinking. Like Uh this should have been the first thing that they thought of 
when they were doing the investigation, but yep. it sounds like that's not what the what the investigators were thinking. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, they had to demonize an entire community by arguing that Adnan was of Muslim faith and that as a Muslim man, he had potential to do this because of their treatment towards women, which again, I want to say um, bullshit. Yeah, also it's like, uh, I what's interesting here is that this is before 9-11 even. Yes. And uh, also, if you were to follow this logic, then wouldn't all of these Middle Eastern countries have like super high murder rates? Yeah, you would think so, like, right? You would think that it would just be like rampant murder everywhere, but that isn't the case. Exactly. But in terms of actual evidence, Anand found the grounds to get a new trial only after the host of Serial spoke to Asia McLean. Remember, she was a former classmate of Adnan's and the one that she chatted with him in the library. Mm -hmm. So she claimed that she saw him at the Willow Library around the time of the murder. Yet Gutierrez, his original um, attorney, did not include her in Adnan's defense trial. I think that's so weird. I wonder why she missed that. We don't know. Hmm. But when Asia later testified to this at a sworn deposition and at a hearing in the case, Adnan was granted a post-conviction hearing in February of 2016 that would explore his potentially enormous blind spot in the original defense team strategy and the witness roster. Previously, Anand had applied for an appeal in 2003, but that failed to result in a new trial. Anand's new attorneys argued that his original counsel, Gutierrez and Dorsey, had utterly failed to include McLean's testimony as an alibi witness, which would have placed Anand miles away from the scene of the crime and thereby could have affected the entire outcome of the trial. Chief Judge Patrick L. Woodward, in support of ordering a new trial for Anand, wrote that it was logical to assume that Asia's testimony would have raised, quote, reasonable doubt in the mind of at least one juror, if not more. Even re retired Judge Martin Welch, who denied Anand's 2003 request for a new trial, ended up vacating his conviction and ordering a new trial himself. Judge Welch also added that some outstanding questions about the cell phone tower evidence should have been raised by Adnan's original defense. For Rabia Shadri, news that Adnan would finally get another shot at justice was staggering, if unbelievable, news. She said, quote, I felt the most overwhelming relief imaginable. I was sobbing and hysterical. It took me the rest of the day to become rational. We worked for this for so long and I was terrified this was our last chance. If the judge had ruled differently, there would have been nothing else we could do for Adnan. While Rabia appreciated um, Sarah Cohen's serial podcast series, 
she also felt that there was more to explore, especially as Anand's case was more publicly re-examined due to the serial podcast. The team created something amazing and beautiful and compelling, said Rabia. The podcast brought Anand's case to light. Without it, he would never have gotten a new trial. We can never thank them enough. But the story that Cyril tells is incomplete. Cyril's team were not investigators. There are many things they either missed or didn't look at or left out of the podcast. So for instance, Asia McLean's testimony that she had seen Saeed at the library until 2.40 p.m. clearly contradicted statements by Hay's co-manager on the wrestler team that Adnan had been speaking with Hay until almost three about joining her at a wrestling match that evening. But Ravi's undisclosed podcast also discovered that there was no wrestling match that night and that either the co-manager or Asia had been mistaken or worse, lied. Additionally, inconsistencies with Hayes' autopsy report and the court ruling warranted a closer look. The state said Adnan killed her by 2.35 p.m. and placed her body in the trunk of her car, only to remove her about four to five hours later in order to bury her at 7 p.m., which is when Jay Wilds helped bury her in the woods. The problem here is that rigor mortis would have partially set in with that time frame. Yet the autopsy report said that lividity was present and fixed on the anterior surface of the body, except in the areas exposed to pressure. So that means she would not be able to be like crumpled up. She would have been stiff and they couldn't have buried her during the time that Jay Wilde said they did. Interesting. This Jay is a very strange character in this whole thing to me because, I mean, it seems like he's incriminating himself a little bit too mm-hmm. in the process of this. And it almost makes me wonder, be like, well, why aren't we looking more carefully at him? Like, why isn't he why isn't he being looked at as somebody who's just trying to, as maybe the potential guilty party and he's trying to cast blame on somebody else? Exactly, exactly. Which I'll share my thoughts at the end, but I'm gonna go down that road. Mm. Numerous medical experts familiar with their poll told Undisclosed that Hayes' lividity suggested that she was positioned face down stretched out soon after her death, and that then her body stayed in that position for at least eight to 12 hours. And remember, she was supposedly buried within five hours. Yeah, that, uh, that timeline does not match up at no, all. No. Perhaps the most substantial evidence for Anand's offense was the matter of the cell phone tower records. Gutierrez, again, failed, to represent Adnan um, proficiently, I guess is the right word. Um, so she failed to understand that the data AT&T was subpoenaed for was for accurate and specific purposes. So they only collected data for outgoing calls. Ingoing calls 
were not considered to be reliable information for location. Interesting. That would, okay. That would mean that the two most important phone calls for the prosecution, which placed Anon at the scene at 7.09 and 7.16, were actually inbound calls rather than outbound calls. So it, it so your, your cell phone pings when you're in a location when you're making an outbound call, but when you get in mm-hmm. one coming to you, it just takes your most recent one. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that that's how that worked. I didn't know either until researching this. So if, let's say he drove past the place where Hayes' body was found, but then he got a call when he was back at, back at mosque, potentially, it would still say he was at location. Oh, so we, what we're looking at is basically an incomplete data set. Exactly, of course. And an imperfect one, because if he's receiving calls, then it's not a perfect indicator of where he physically was. Mm-hmm. So despite all these um, like cell phone records and location records and witness statements, um, furthermore, there's the matter of reliability of Jay's testimony given his inconsistent claims. The number of times his story changed and the possible coercion of the investigators. The podcast Undisclosed argued that Jay was keen on snagging the $3,075 reward money for information that led authorities to the rest of the person who killed Hay. Which is crazy because that's not even that much money. It's not, but um, Jay wanted to buy a motorcycle And coincidentally, his neighbor was selling a Suzuki motorcycle for just under $3,000. Huh, interesting. So he may have had motive to get that $3,000 some dollars by any means necessary, even Mm -hmm. if it meant betraying his friend. Yeah. And Hmm. putting someone away in prison for the rest of their life. That's, uh, I would hope that if that is the case, that you'd feel really icky about that. I mean, I don't know. I, I have a lot of thoughts on this case. Again, we'll, yeah. we'll touch on that. Yeah, there's again. a lot of thoughts to be had here, I think. So some people believe that both Adnan and Jay committed the act of murder against Hay together and that the latter turned on the former such as what we just mentioned. However, other things Adnan was attempting to frame Jay for the death, but Jay managed to get to the authorities first. Which is weird, because like, don't you think that if, if like, okay, the authorities are coming down on you instead of your supposed like co-conspirator, wouldn't you immediately just be like, no, it was him who did all of it. Mm-hmm. Like, right. and then you'd start, you'd start, spinning the tail the other way to make mm-hmm. it look like he's a guilty party but he didn't do that mm-hmm. like if he thought that he could just like if that were the case and it was just like a matter of flipping on the other person you think that that would have been the easy way out of all this but 
yet he chose to maintain his innocence. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest reasons why Jay's name is so often brought up in connection with the case is because he was the one that actually led cops to Hayes' car. I mean, he was the anonymous phone caller. Uh Uh-huh. He was the anonymous phone caller. And he knew where the car was. He knew where the car was, and he supposedly helped bury the body. Mm -hmm. Many folks can't believe that Jay would know where the car was if he wasn't involved. And since Jay had no apparent motive to kill Hay on his own, Adnan's name is intertwined with his. However, some have also floated the theory that cops knew where the car was and simply coached Jay as they approached it in connection to that um, recorded tapping and like almost kind of scripted um, interview that he had. Hmm. According to the court transcripts from Anand's trial, he allegedly called Jay, quote, pathetic as he approached him in a stand. This simple off-the-cuff remark led many to question Anand's word choice. If he, if he was going to insult Jay on account of Hayes' murder, why wouldn't he call him a liar or something of that effect? That is, that's valid. It is valid. Meanwhile, a few who follow this case have raised questions about Hayes' new boyfriend, if you remember Don Clintist from the Lenscrafter stores. Um, and Don Quintus did have an alibi that he was at work the night of her murder. And his alibi is corroborated by his manager. But his manager is his mother. Uh, so, excuse me? Okay, we're going to need some, some uh, other set of facts to back this up. Like, I'm going to need security camera footage i'm gonna I mean, it's need... 1999 that footage is no longer existent you know <sighs> it's been it's been overrided hmm and additional to that authorities failed to interview the fellow co-workers that were working that night to confirm that he was actually at work that day i feel like that is a very easy thing like how could you not see the conflict of interest when the manager is literally this person's mother. Exactly. Hmm. So we have Adnan who may have done it. We have Jay who may have done it. We have the new boyfriend who may have done it. But then there's another theory. People have also wondered whether the stranger who found Hayes' body was actually unresponsible. Because on the day that her body was found, Alonzo Stellars, so that he was drinking and driving, which PSA, that's not a good idea. Don't do it. Right. Yeah. Terrible idea. But he was drinking and driving near Lincoln Park when he realized that he needed to use the restroom. So he parked his car and he walked 127 feet into the woods. You know, maybe he's a shy peer. That's what they said, um, because authorities were initially suspicious of how far he walked out. But he was cleared after you pass a a polygraph test. And they determined that he just wanted privacy. Okay, but also like polygraph tests are kind of like, 
right wishy-washy like i i feel like it's not an a perfect science exactly and a lot of times people that do commit murders will like call in the murderer because they want themselves cleared so right it's a theory i don't think it holds water i think he did just go like really far from the road because he didn't want people passing by the cmp but it's a theory that's out there and it's worth being discussed right it's like let's not write anybody off until we can truly prove it like we shouldn't just give like this is one of those times where you can't give anybody the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah also also like how uh how is that what was the name of the was it lincoln park it's leakin so it's spelled l-e-k-i-n like leakin but everyone calls it lincoln like abraham lincoln so uh like how bad does the body problem have to be in this park that you can't you literally can't like pee in the woods without finding a body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, so as for Hayes' family, they stand with the original verdict found in 2016. And they release a statement that, quote, we thank the state for standing up for us and Hay and continuing to seek justice. We believe justice was done when Anand Saeed was convicted in 2000. And we look forward to bringing this chapter to an end so we can celebrate the memory of Hay instead of celebrating the man who killed her, such as Ravi Shatri's podcast and the serial podcast do so. However, as recently as March 15th of 2022, so just very, very recent, a little more than a month ago, a Baltimore County Circuit judge has ordered new DNA testing in the case of Anand Syed and the murder of Heyman Lee. Nothing further has been announced, but I am very much looking forward to what these new DNA tests will bring up. Right. And, um, I mean, we think about how far DNA evidence has come in now to over two decades. Mm-hmm. Like, I would not be surprised if they found out that there was maybe some other connection or that perhaps there's some other suspect out there that is a totally different person that hasn't been mentioned here. Exactly. This could be, I don't know. I don't know. It could be Jay. It could be Adnan. It could be someone we don't even know that saw poor Heyman pull up for gas and just picked her up, you know? We yeah. Have, we have no idea. But at the end of the day, and for the time being, Adnan, Hay, and the possibility of an unknown assailant are the only people that know who killed her. And it's important to not forget about Hay, given all the investigation drama that takes place. Hayes' friends and teachers eulogized her at the 1990 memorial. Their words paint the picture of Hay that the podcast serial couldn't quite provide. She was one of those rare people you meet in life who is always happy, always joyful, and full of love. Her athletic director said that there are no words to describe her smile. 
and that she grew into a leader. She was a dedicated player, and she was mad if you weren't, too. There were also friendly jokes made about Hay at her eulogy. Friends said her frequent singing was often off-key, which prompted a laugh from the memorial attendees. Her friend Debbie Warren said that Lee was a, quote, Teletubbies fam, and said that <laughs> Hay's jokes were often unfunny, but her attempts at humor still made her friends smile because Hay was so enthusiastic about it. Oh, I love that. That is because at the heart of all this, we need to remember the victim above all else. Exactly. Because like her light needs to keep shining mm-hmm. because she can't physically right. be here to do that herself. Right. Her family released a statement in 2017 to honor their daughter in the face of all that the publicity that Adnan was getting from his new trial. They said that she stood up for what was right, regardless of popular opinion. In her diary, Hay once wrote, do love and remain forever. And her family said they do and they always will. Oh, what a great line from her. Mm-hmm. And that, wow. that is the very sad murder of Heyman Lee and the possible guilty verdict of Anan Syed. Wow, that case ha- is, that was a, a really great episode because it's got everything, you know, it's uh, got a very compelling storyline and uh, I am very, very interested to see if future evidence comes out against this guy or for him so right like like i i wanted to wrap up my story with like showing tribute to hay you know mm -hmm. because it's it's really sad that she was brought out in like such a a violent way but i also want to shed light on like our justice system you know like are I'm I know a lot of people are behind bars and they're innocent and I feel right. like, like if, if you're gonna get or if, like if you're gonna go away for something like it needs to be done by the book it needs to like you need to cross every t dot every i there there can't be this much doubt behind it because yeah it I mean especially with there doesn't seem to be any physical evidence and you know now we're we're rehashing the old dna evidence um i'm hoping that that can provide some answers because whoever took hay from this world deserves to be put in prison for the rest of their life mm-hmm. absolutely and i don't think anybody could argue that right um, and i just want it to be the correct person exactly and um, and it would it would be way more heartbreaking if for the last now 23 years that it's been the wrong person behind bars and that the real killer has just been able to be out there living their own life. And that would be a huge miscarriage of justice. And Mm -hmm. if that is the case, we need to fix that ASAP. I agree. Um, I have my own personal opinions. Um, I I don't know if I should share this publicly, but I want to do it anyways. 
Um, I feel... well, I mean, you've looked at all the uh, all the all of the evidence and yes, stuff, so yes, you, you I have feel that on a conclusion. Me personally, I feel Anon did not do it. Um, I feel Jay is very shady. He knows something that he's not telling. I'm not going to say he did do it, but I'm not going to say he was not involved. And I just think the real killer is still out there and Anand should be cleared of his sentence. I don't, yeah, I, I don't think he did it. Yeah. And I, I'd have to say that the, all of these holes that have been poked in the prosecution's case all these things that are, were missed and not brought up and not looked at, it's just too much to, to be like, if you look at all that and you still think that like, oh no, he's definitely guilty. I, I just don't think that's the case. No. Like there's I mean, one too many unanswered questions. Yeah. Like he wasn't there when she should have been buried. He was at mosque. There are many witnesses. Mm-hmm. He supposedly called Jay from a, phone booth that does not exist mm-hmm. he spoke to asia in the library when asia corroborated that story like she said yes he was there even like a decade later she said yes he was there like it does not add up i think it was i think it was a culturally biased uh racially motive conviction mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if that was the case. That is definitely kind of where I'm leaning to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, like you said, I think Jay is definitely a shady character. And mm-hmm. if he wasn't involved somehow, like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I, I think that, like you said, he's definitely the key to solving this potentially. And he has not been completely forthright. So that's what, that's the conclusion that I'm drawing from what we've discussed today. Mm-hmm. So that one will be very interesting to see how it develops further. Yes. Well, I definitely will be tracking it and any of our listeners can see in any new information I find out on our socials at Dark and Devious Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And we would like to thank you for tuning in for another week of Dark and Devious or possibly your first week. Yeah, so I hope this kept yeah, I hope this kept everybody on the edge of their seat because this one has so many twists and turns. And hopefully we can keep bringing you those twists and turns week after week going forward. Yes, yes we'd love to do so. So uh, again, please like and rate us wherever you are listening. We appreciate the support. And until next time, bye. Bye.